Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Patrick and talk about the best way to position his finances after his wife became a stay-at-home mom. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my sports enthusiast co-host, Scott Trench. And with me, as always, is my uh, Spike the Football, Slam Dunk, Home Run podcast host, Mindy Jensen. Thank you, Scott. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, create a flexible financial position, or have one one spouse stay at home and raise the kids, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, today we have a new segment on the show. It's called The Money Moment, where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. Today's money moment is... If you have trouble allocating your funds correctly, try the 50-30-20 rule. 50% goes to your essential needs like transportation and housing. 30% goes to your wants like new clothes, eating out, or a gym membership. And 20% goes to savings. If you have a money hack, tip, or trick for us, please email us at moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. All right, before we bring in Patrick, let's take- When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. The easiest way to collect rent? Rent app. Rent app is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, Rent app uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love Rent App for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? Rent App, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app/landlord. That's rent.app/landlord. Take a quick break. And we're back. Patrick is a full-time physical therapist for a major sports team. He has a 4-month-old baby and his wife recently left her full-time job to be a stay-at-home mom. When he's not on the road or at home with the family, he has a side hustle where he helps private clients with personal training and physical therapy. Patrick, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to both of you guys. Um, this is 
kind of surreal being on the show. Um, but yeah, really, really excited about this. Okay, well, we have a lot to cover. So we're going to jump right into it. Let's look at your money snapshot. I have a salary or you have a salary of $64.50, which is post-tax. So that's good to know with a raise coming in July to bring you up to $75.40. You have a side hustle that brings in about $750 a month and you get a per diem while traveling for work, which varies during the on-season, off-season, but averages about $800 a month after taxes. So the income seems pretty solid. Um, we have monthly expenses that total $51.90. So right now there's a delta of $12.60. For investments, we have approximately $170,000 in various retirement accounts. However, there is $7,000 in crypto, $8,300 in series double E bonds and 12,400 in a K1 partnership. Yay for the $28,000 in emergency fund. Yay. Okay. Debts is where we really want to take a peek. 207 on a mortgage at 3.125% interest. I don't care about that. HELOC, 8.5%, $24,000. We're going to talk about that. Private home loan, 7,600 at 1% interest. I don't care about that. Rental property mortgage at $55,000, 5.6%. Eh, I don't really care so much about that. $35,000 at a 0% interest for a private student loan for Patrick. And your wife's student loans is a little bit, the balance is a little bit more there. We're looking at $213,000, currently at 0%, but the aggregate interest is 6.335%. So guess what we're going to talk about, Patrick? And your wife has a car loan of $24,000 and an HVAC loan of $2,000, which should be paid off by May. So we don't care about that either. And just to summarize that, because there's a lot of numbers, just for my my own purposes, we've got 260000 give or take, in mortgages against your primary and rental property. And we've got 250000 in student loans, plus another 50000 in other uh, personal debts between the HELOC and the car payment and a couple of minor debts. Is that is that a good summary, Patrick? Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a good snapshot of kind of putting things together. Yep. Could you give us a quick overview of how we got here? Just a maybe a three to five minute overview of your money story and how we arrived at the current state? Sure. Um, so I guess growing up uh, was kind of like a medium income household. Um, definitely didn't uh, like struggle, but I also don't think we talked a lot about money. And so I think um, I did an okay job uh, through the help of my parents of earning some money uh, during high school and whatnot. And so I had some saved up going into college, uh, but then was off to college and did what college kids do and had fun and spent some money. Um, so not to say that I got into a lot of debt, which is great, but I sort of completed whatever savings I had, had going into college uh, and then leaving school, um, started working full time and then also went back for uh, additional school, which I was able to sort of cash flow from my, from my job at that time. So it didn't accumulate further debt. And then finishing up my my total eight years of school sort of stumbled onto your guys uh podcasts and that sort of kick-started my my enthusiasm my passion and my my uh knowledge and learning with with personal finance and sort of coming up with a plan of you know where what i was going to do with what money i was making um so a couple few years later um here i am with a wife and a, a son and uh have a primary residence and I think a, a pretty decent job, and then um, just a, a handful of other debts, whether it's educational or or other 
minor consumer debts. Um, but sort of the, the overarching theme uh, is is not having to work till I'm 60, 65, that sort of thing. Um, trying to be a little bit more independent and, and have some of those freedoms uh, from some of the decisions that uh, myself and my, w- my wife make now that can help us a couple of years down the road. Okay. Your wife recently left her job to stay home with your son. Has this put a strain on your finances? Um, a little bit. Uh, and, and I think like you guys talk about personal finances is personal. And so it was sort of a conscious decision that we made because um, if we were looking at daycare, we're looking at putting half to three quarters of what she'd be making right into the daycare. And so it was sort of one of those, you know, do we want to be spending a majority of what she's making just so she can not help raise our son versus taking a little bit of a haircut uh, on the on the income front and have her be at home um, and be able to spend pretty much every waking hour with him, which is... Uh, the hardest job in the world, way, way harder than what I do. Um, but it's also extremely rewarding. And, um, uh, so the short answer is a little bit, um, but we are trying to make decisions, uh, in terms of what we have going on now that help to offset some of those, uh, differences. And what did she do and how much was she making? Uh, so she's an occupational therapist. Uh, she was working at a brain injury clinic and she was taking home about 75,000 in a year. Is there any opportunity for her to work part-time or do uh, freelance or anything like that? We've definitely considered that. Um, I think at this point, it's still a little bit early. Uh, our son's four months, and so he still requires uh, quite a bit of attention. Um, as Scott, I know you know you have a, a small one at home, so you you can kind of attest to that. Um, so, so essentially, we've thought about it, but I don't think the timing is right right now. Uh, that might be something we're looking at. Uh, in another year or something like that. Um, but also considering in the future, maybe another little one coming. Uh, and so that sort of maybe resets the clock on on her being able to do some of those things. Um, so I think for sort of the purposes of today, the answer is no. Um, but potentially in the future, once our sort of home situation changes a little bit. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, when I was pregnant with my oldest, was like, what am I going to do with my days? Oh, I'm, I'm going to be bored. And then I have my baby. I'm like, when was the last time I showered? <laughs> Luckily, she gets to shower most days. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say the same about me. Well, walk us through the student loan debt for both you and your wife. Um, how, how did that come about? And, and um, you know, especially in your wife's case, um, why, why were you looking at such a huge number? Yeah. So, so for myself, I was lucky. Um, my parents were able to help out with school. So essentially, um, whatever I had not earned in terms of scholarships or whatnot, uh, we sort of split expenses and whatever scholarships sort of went towards mine. So we, everything was split half and half. And then I just owe the rest uh, back to my parents. And I'm lucky enough that they gave me sort of a 0% interest loan. So uh, I've got another probably five years paying those off. Um, so that's about 550 a month uh, going towards that. With with my wife, um, she was essentially responsible for for all of her student loan or for student payments. So that included um, five years of undergrad as well as three years of grad school. Uh, and that sort of adds up to the uh, larger number we we see there. Okay, awesome. And and you're going to receive a, a large raise in July. Is that should we consider that uh, a kind of a moot point for now from the total accumulation perspective because most of that will just kind of offset the side hustle income that you're 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 bringing in now or how do you think about it? Yeah, I, I think that's that's sort of a fair way to look at it. Um based on that increase, I think I'm I'm able to 
decrease what I'm doing with the with the side hustle stuff quite a bit. And I think it's actually still going to come out ahead. So we'll, we'll be bringing in just a little bit more than what I'm doing now with my my W two job plus the side hustle. Um, so yes, I think short answer is we can offset most of that, and it ends up kind of washing out by the by the end of that. Um, but then additionally, hoping to continue to have some of these uh, raises each each year. Um, so, but short answer is yes. <laughs> And, and can you tell us a little about this this rental property? How how's it how's that going? What's the kind of projection going forward for it? Absolutely. Um, so after doing a ton of research uh, and a ton of listening, reading, all that stuff um, on all sorts of bigger pockets uh, forums and, and everything, uh, we bought our first rental in May of last year. Um, and as you guys know, that's sort of the time where rates were going up, inventory was flying off the shelves, and to be completely honest, I got a little impatient which everyone says not to do. And so sort of bought something that was not exactly what we were looking for. Um, had an inherited tenant that we struggled with getting rent from at times. And then uh, that person ended up uh, moving out sort of without telling us at the beginning of February. So it's actually been vacant for about two months now. And so we're actually finishing up some some work, um, some contractors going through and get sort of fixing it up. And our plan as of right now is to try to sell that, um, try to recoup losses, essentially just break even, and then move whatever proceeds from that into uh, our, our next sort of real estate venture. And um, definitely really interested in the midterm rental, medium-term rental um, strategy. We have a, a decent hospital network system um, where we live. And so I think there's some opportunity for that. Um, but short answer is it hasn't gone great. <laughs> but it's been a good learning experience, and I, I think we haven't gotten hurt too badly financially, um, but certainly looking to kind of hit the reset button um, on that. Got it. Okay. Um, let, let's go to your house uh, next. Uh, do you have any plans for your primary residence? Are you gonna Are you going to live there for a long time, or should we consider the equity there kind of locked in and you're happy with it and um, you're there to stay? Yeah, I think the the plan for now and and for the foreseeable future is to stay here. Um, you know, I think knowing a little bit more now uh, about sort of house hacking and all that, um, my wife and I both read Set for Life, which sort of helped to kickstart us a little bit more. Um, and I think we're you know maybe a few years past to where that might be applicable to us just because of the the newborn and, and a couple other factors. Um, so it's I, I think we're here for the medium to, to long-term, uh, depending on just, you know, my job and everything. Um, but the, the interest rate is nowhere close to what we'd be getting right now. And so I unfortunately think the, the equity in that is, is probably best accessed through a HELOC like we've done, uh, versus like a cash out refi. Um, cause I think whatever money we might take out of that is just going to go into a higher monthly payment. And I don't really think we come out ahead on, on that. So that's sort of how we view the, the house, um, I think we're in a, a pretty affordable um, area of the country, so the, so the payment's not crazy, um, but it's obviously a pretty big expense in terms of where we're at. Um, but again, one of those where just because of our family situation and and again personal decisions that we've chosen to make, um, it's not necessarily something that we are looking to monetize or or help us out. If that's fair. Okay. You have a whole life insurance policy. Is this a new policy or is this an older policy? So that's a policy that was taken out um, for me by my parents when I was about five. So it's it's got about 25 years of growth in there. Um, and so I, I hadn't really known what to do 
with that. And I actually remember listening to an episode with Eric Brotman years ago um, with, with you guys that talked about like the infinite baking concept and, you know, withdrawing from that or taking loans out. And so from then I started to think about it and I just haven't done anything with it. And then after reading Separate Life, sort of the, the situation described in that in, hey, here's where you're at. Um, you know, here's where you want to be in five, 10, 15 years and taking out a, a term policy that sort of lines up with, with that versus a whole life. Um, that's, you know, the, the death benefit of that is, is not going to be life-changing. It'll, it'll help with, you know, end of life cir- circumstances, but it's not something that can kind of help if, you know, something terrible happens and I end up gone next year. Um, what we've set in place with our term policy is, is something that could, in theory, replace whatever we would make and what we would need to live off of. Uh, so long way to say that the whole life policy is not something I foresee being in place for a lot longer. Um, our plan has been to surrender that, liquidate that, and most likely pay off the HELOC um, and then using whatever proceeds we might get from selling the, the rental property to then move into our next one. Agree completely with that approach. All right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. That's very wise. Yes. I, 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 I like that. The goal is flexibility in five to eight years. That policy is going to be with you for life. That's the whole life policy. You're going to be paying into it. Um, I think that taking, coming out with a small gain is, you know, not, not the worst thing in the world. And, and you can deploy that to, you have 8%, 8.5% HELOC right now. Guaranteed better return than putting more money into the, uh, the whole life policy. For sure. Yeah. And then, you know, initially that HELOC was a, a variable rate, um, intro rate was like 1.9. So for the first six months, we're hardly paying anything on it, but then that jumped up, uh, in like January. So it's, it's been a, a bit of a stressor. So any, any cash flow we might've had, uh, while the tenant was paying, uh, is, has been wiped out by paying on that HELOC. So for sure, trying to get that taken care of as quickly as possible. So I, I'm glad to hear you agree with our plan. Um, we will go ahead and execute that, um, tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I would double check the numbers, run everything. But yeah, I see a whole life insurance policy, cash value, $24,000. Primary residence HELOC, $24,000. It seems like that those two could wipe out each other. Yes, exactly. And that's sort of how we, how we thought about it. Um, and and ideally, uh, selling the rental would net about the same if we're getting what we think we can for it. Um, but again, not worrying about how long that might sit on the market and what, how long it would take to close. I think doing the whole life and just wiping that out is, is the move. So uh, I appreciate the discussion on that. Yeah. So I'm going to start crossing off these uh, debts once we figure out a way to get rid of them. So the HELOC, we just figured that out. Primary home mortgage. I'm not concerned about Scott. Are you? Uh, no, it's 207,000 at 3.125, three, three and an eighth. I think that's great. That, that That's a good one to not touch. Okay. Rental property mortgage. He's going to sell that. So we don't need to discuss that. And how much equity are we going to harvest when you sell that property? It depends on what source you're looking at. Um, we are hopeful it's worth between 100 and 110. Uh, we bought it for 75 last May. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll clear about $50,000. In cash, give or take. After all expenses. $40,000 in cash after expenses. Sure. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay. You have a private home loan of 7600 at 1% interest. I don't care about that. I mean, I care about it, but that'll get paid off. 1% interest is a gift. And is that 1% fixed for like 
as long as you have it, or is that going to vary? It is. So, so that was actually um, a gift slash loan from my parents to get us to twenty percent to wipe out PMI, and then I just agreed for you know, again that one percent interest is ridiculously low, but um, that was sort of generous of them to, to help us out with that. So, give us the lump sum to get us to twenty percent to wipe out the PMI, and now I'm just paying that. So, just over. Four years left on that. Just over three years. Sorry. And your student loan is at 0% through your parents until it's paid off. Correct. So I don't care about that one, uh, which leaves us with your the HVAC loan. I don't care about that because that's almost done at 0% interest, which leaves us with your wife's auto loan and your wife's student loans. Let's zoom out for a second here before we get into this and acknowledge that, that we've got a boogeyman, I think, to deal with here. So... Wife has $213,000 in student loans and a $25,000 auto loan and does not work uh, in, in this situation. So how, like, you know, and I know this is a personal choice, but has that, have we had this discussion and, and kind of talked through that, that this is a real barrier to, to that? I mean, your, your cash flow for your whole, your whole family on an annual basis, if we're, if we're not including, you know, CapEx allowances is about $25,000 a year. And so that's a decade. That sets you back a decade, these these two components for that. And so I'd just love to hear that. I, w- I want to confront that issue really quickly, and and we'll, we'll deal with it as uh, after we have that discussion. For sure. And and it's definitely, uh, we've had discussions on it, uh, a lot of discussions on it. Uh, and and I guess we can we can start by talking about the, the car loan. Um, so that was a decision that we made uh, when we knew we were expecting uh, our first child. Uh, so, so we ended up selling uh, the car that my wife was in, uh, and upgrading to, you know, a new car with, uh, you know, a little bit bigger and more safety features and all that. Uh, so again, sort of a conscious decision that we made, yes, this is maybe not the ideal way to go about getting a new car or getting a car. Um, especially if you're running around the five community. <laughs> um, but it, it made sense to us at the time, especially with my car paid off. Um, and so, you know, it, the payment's not, wiping us out every month. Um, and that's something that we'll have for another five ish years. Um, and then, and then that's, that's done. And when we obviously could pay more towards that, but I think with the, with the rate at just over 4%, it's one of those kind of in between is you're not, you know, it's not 1%, but it's also not eight and a half percent. Um, so, so I, I think at four, we can be using whatever excess money to make us more money rather than paying off that, that loan. Um, so, is that, does that make sense? Is that fair? Does that, can I know where I'm coming from on that or do you have more? Oh, I, I completely understand it. And, and frankly, I, I did something very similar in my, in my personal life. I just, I, I guess where I'm, where I'm, I'm asking the tough question of this combination of decisions is really, in my opinion, locking you into like one path here. We can re- reposition a few of these assets, but it's really, I'm looking at it and there's, the math is, is pretty straightforward here. You're going to save at most 20, 25,000 a year. I think agree with Mindy that after you clean up the HELOC situation, um, with either the whole life policy or the sale of the rental property, um, there's no reason to pay off the other debts, uh, for, uh, in, in an early fashion. And with a 4% interest auto loan, there's no reason to pay that off early either. That leaves your student loans, which I think are at 6% interest, but they're paused because of the, um, uh, for, forbearance. And so that that's kind of the, I feel like the crux of this financial. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, 
or just looking for extra money to invest, Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Of, of, this, of this Finance Friday is kind of understanding that decision, because if we, go, if we continue with the status quo, you, you don't really have much more in the way of options other than to slowly let this, this debt amortize save up the $25,000 a year and build again, 250 to $300,000 in wealth over the next, you know, 10 years in, in, in various passive investment vehicles. And so that's where I wanted, I wanted to go right there for what I see as the big leverage point. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, see if there's any flexibility in a couple of those choices. I could see wife returning to work and bring in some income there. I could see a house hack, uh, which would be a sacrifice. I could see selling the car and going back down, um, in order to free up some cash flow. Um, but I, I can't see all of these things going this with the choices, the, the, the choices that have come out and there being a path to really getting ahead. And, and that's where I wanted to be frank and, and just ask. Sure. Uh, and, and I guess it might be helpful if I explain a little bit more about those. So, um, those are all, uh, income driven repayment loans, which is a, you know, a specific type of loan that you're basically paying, um, from what you're making, uh, what your income is. And obviously they've been paused for, uh, you know, three plus years now, and those payments have all counted, which is great. 
Um, but now that my wife is not working, her payments are effectively zero once those do resume and they still count. Um, that is as long as we file our taxes separately. Um, if we are filing jointly, then obviously my income is counted and we'll end up, our monthly payment will be whatever that is. And so based on that, I sort of ran the numbers, did the math and knowing whatever we don't pay off in the, at the end of 20 years is going to be essentially given to us as loan forgiveness, which is essentially seen as like, here's this check for however much, 150, $200,000, whatever it is, and paying taxes on that. And so what we are currently doing, um, in the after-tax brokerage that I had mentioned, we're putting $300 a month into that with the hope that that is growing over time. So at the end of, at this point, 13 years, that number in that brokerage will be however much we are anticipating we are going to owe in taxes. And we'll just have that. We can liquidate that account, pay the taxes. It won't be this big, huge burden. And so running the numbers, doing what we're doing now, paying whatever that amount is. And this scenario was based on what she was making at her, at her job. And so that is continues to be zero. If she's not going to work for the next handful of years, it changes it a little bit. But at the end of the day, that math has us paying less over the course of all of our loans than if we were to say, accelerate these payments and try to actually pay off that entire balance. So when, when does the, when does this come due or when, do, when does the, when's the 20 year period end? Yeah. So it was 20 years from when she started paying, which I believe was, uh, June of 2015 or 16. Um, so we have a, about 13 years, 14 years left. Okay. If, if she returned to work full-time and you had childcare, what is the net spread against, uh, how, how much money she'd, she'd like, how much, how much more cash flow would come into your household? That number I'm not sure of. It, it's a little bit hard to say. Well, so, so if we had $75,000 in household income and we allocate $2,000, that was her salary before she left, right? Uh, and that's pre-tax. So yeah. So pre-tax $75,000 is uh uh we'll, we'll take out we'll say we'll, we'll assume a 25 percent household income tax bracket so that that pulls out eight, 18 seven eighteen thousand seven hundred fifty, 18,750 um leaving us with 56 grand and then um 56 grand after tax that assumes no contributions to retirement accounts or anything like that and what's child care in your area full-time we don't have an exact number on that um but we are anticipating it would be at least uh, a few grand uh, a year, probably between two and three. A month. Uh, a month. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, a 2000 a year? Take it. No, yeah, do it's it, going it. to be like twenty four <laughs> to $36,000 a year. So now we're at twenty five dollars to $30,000 that she's bringing home. Yeah. So that, that is significant. That doubles your household cash flow accumulation. So I, I, yeah, it may not feel that significant at the end of the day, but that that it doubles your net cash flow. And so again, I I, I don't we you, you, it may be a personal finances personal situation, but we got to run the math and understand that that is a major. It's not a it's not a gimme. Like it's not a oh, it's not really much that we're going to bring in here. The net spread it's a big spread. So aside aside from the fact that um you, aside from the, the the benefits are not, I I don't like it as a lifer financial decision. Because again, not choosing not to pay it off for the next 13 years, yeah, your spreadsheet may work out one way or the other, but you're not going to be free that entire time. It's going to mean that, hey, there's an incentive here not to work for 13 years for your wife. 
um, to earn any income. Otherwise, the income will push up the balance. So that'll make that decision very hard. You're going to file separately, which is going to impact your ability to borrow or 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 use opportunities or have your wife again pursue um, uh, uh, op- options in the future. It's going to it's going to reduce your ability to offset some of your income on your tax returns. And I think I think it's just not very freeing. And so as much as like, I understand the situation and I can empathize with the choices that you've made, I, I really, it seems to me like with $200,000 in debt, eight years in, in education and really high income op- uh, opportunities here that you guys should strongly consider having your wife go back to work and produce that twenty five to 30000 It probably will be a little more if, you place, if you're tax efficient with that and just pay this thing off. Uh, sooner than that. I think you'll get a much more flexible financial position. If you do that, you're going to increase your income, your take-home pay from $250,000 over the next 10 years to $500,000 plus, not factoring any raises, promotions, or anything like anything like that. That's going to provide a much, much more flexible position, and this thing will be gone in five years. It will be a grind. Uh, it will not be fun, but uh, it'll be more fun of, uh, backing into that position in five to 10 years with much, much more options for your life I think than ignoring it the way that you're not not ignoring it, but but just essentially setting up a situation that has you doing nothing with it for the next decade plus, and having you be the sole breadwinner uh, uh, to to put cash in there. How is this sounding? Is this is this a too too blunt or or, or harsh of an assessment of the situation? Or what what, what are you thinking in response to this? Uh, I certainly appreciate the bluntness. Um, I, I think it's something that is important for for me to hear, for us to hear. Um, and it's maybe a little bit difficult to hear, but I think it makes sense. Uh, and, and to your point about her um, working in some capacity, we have talked about her sort of being like the property manager for um, additional rentals we might uh, bring into our portfolio and and whether that in itself is enough to um, you know offset a little bit of this and and if that necessitates you know us having to, put him into, you know, childcare or whatnot. Um, but that also having certain, uh, you know, tax implications for what, what I've been bringing home. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that we will have to discuss, um, based on some of your, some of your feedback. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a good r- reminder of, of sort of the, the reality, uh, of our situation in terms of what this sort of this boogeyman that you, that you reference, uh, looks like with, with the form of these laws. Yeah. I, I, and I get it. Like, you just don't want to, you don't want to attack it because what I'm saying here is no, like your financial position and your goals are not compatible with staying home with your son. Um, you know, and, and so I think it's a reframing of what's realistic. I think what's realistic in the next 10 years for you without that is again, a financial position that increases by about 250 to 300 grand on your, your income. And that's fine. That's not a bad outcome. You're ahead of most people with that, but it's not a path to financial independence. If you, if you guys are looking to be financially independent, there's a path there that puts you perhaps pretty close within 10 years, because again, that's assuming no raises from either of you guys. That's assuming I'm I'm not factoring in investment returns. That's just straight cash accumulation going on with that. But I think that that's the crux. That's the big decision is right now, are we going to play this game, and I'm calling it a game, where we're going to delay 
We're going to have no income. We're going to file separately on this and allow the uh, income-driven repayment of forgiveness here and plan for the tax benefit in 13 years. Or are we going to go after our financial situation intentionally, bust our, our butts, work hard for the next you know, uh, um, you know, f- five to ten years, and pay the pay off these debts, clean up and simplify this financial position. Have and, and in five years, have essentially no consumer debt. Um, your HELOC's gone, your car payment's gone, your student loans could be gone. Your uh, um, uh, what is that? What is the other one? The, the HVAC loan and the auto loan, all paid off. And gone, you just have rental property mortgages or primary mortgages, and you've got 500000 in equity investments. That's the position that I would encourage you guys to have the hard conversation around starting in a few months, frankly, from, from what I'm seeing on, on this. And I think that, that that's a good situation. Five, 10 years from now, like that's passive cash flow. That's two, three, four thousand $4,000 a month. Now we're in a really responsible position to stay home. Um, and, and have lots of cushion here in a, and with a situation that's capable of sustainably continuing to build 50, $60,000 a year, uh, in investable liquidity, if just one of you works. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a really, uh, interesting way to hear it and, and think about it. Um, because for sure it is, you know, that is a sacrifice in the immediate term and the short term and the midterm. Um, but then having some of that flexibility, like you mentioned in five years, eight years, 10 years. Um, is, is definitely something that is sort of what we're, what we're looking to do, um, with the longer term projection, um, whether or not that's a a sacrifice in the, in the immediate term, um, for sure, for sure. Uh, and I guess my, my question about how you're envisioning going about this is this, we are throwing absolutely everything we have on top of what our expenses are at these. And in that case, um, deferring some of what our goals are in terms of our real estate investments? Um, or is there sort of a balance between, Hey, you're throwing X amount at the, at the loans, you're throwing X amount into a savings account to build up your rental portfolio. What are, what are your thoughts on some of that? Great question. So I look, I think that, I think that that's a really like, that's going to be the crux of the asset allocation question. Your variable interest rate HELOC at 8.5%. I mean, I consider 8.5% guaranteed return after tax to be the highest, one of the highest and best use investments you can make. So we already have a plan to clean that up. I think your whole life insurance policy is a great uh, reallocation decision to to go with that. I think you're, I think that's a much higher return um, than what you'll get there. I think that um, when you, when you get into your car loan, no sense in paying that off early. The student loans that that's a really interesting one, right? So we got six point three percent, but it's at zero percent right now, not accruing interest. If you agree with my diagnosis that this boogeyman needs to be confronted in the next couple of years, at some point, that uh, what's the term that they were using? Forbearance is that is that what they're calling it for student loans? I'm not sure if that's what it's. I think they're just calling it a pause. But but essentially, yes, you're not having to pay. There's they're counting. And the, the payments are zero. Yeah. So while that's at zero, there's no real. Re- you just stick it in. You stick it in your emergency account and get four percent, or some some you know some other type of um, uh, debt. I I think that in your situation, I would stockpile assets outside of that. Maybe real estate. Maybe maybe even lending um, to get to get some sort of arbitrage there. Maybe maybe the stock market, um, and then. Toward you know, after a few years, potentially consider borrowing against that to knock out these student loans, for example. 
So that, that might be one approach to, to knocking these things out because it is, it's in this gray zone. Like, are you, can you earn more than 6%? Yes. Is 6% a reasonably high return guaranteed? And especially after tax? Yes. So I, I think it's, I think it's a really hard call and an art. So I, I don't know if I would necessarily, um, in, invest. I think, I think that's, that's going to be, uh, up to you guys. I, th- I don't think there's a wrong way to go about it. I think one school of thought is just sock all the extra cash and pay it off. Again, after tax, we're looking at probably a seven and a half, eight percent return, um, because that that would be what you have to earn in order to earn a six point three percent return after tax um, on on debt like that. Um, but I, I think it's I think it's a really in that coin flip space. Mindy, what do you think? My thoughts are multiple. First, uh, are her payments paused for the length of the government payment pause? whatever more forbearance moratorium, I can't remember what it's called either, or do they continue to be paused for as long as she does not work? So the current pause is strictly from the government pause. And so those are expected to restart. Um, it's, it has to do a little bit with what the, um, what the government decides to do with the laws that were passed and now, you know, contentional or not. But so essentially those are expected to resume between June and October of, of this year. And that will that will be now the payments are are still zero and they count, but now the interest is continuing to accrue, which it hasn't been for the last three years. That's really the only difference as we're doing it currently. Um, if that's helpful, so yeah, the interest will kick back in in a couple few months. Okay, so for right now, I would not make any payments, but I would start collecting that. I agree with what Scott said. This is going to be a burden on your in your mind, on your shoulders, until you pay it off in 13 years when you get the repayment or if you start paying it off beforehand. But if you can pay it off and not take the uh, the forgiveness, it's freeing so much faster. I truly believe you can pay off these student loans before the end of the 13-year payment. And if you can't, then you still get them for, you get like whatever's left over forgiven, right? Correct. Yeah. Essentially how I understand it at the end of 20 years, whatever is left is forgiven. Um, And I think there are certain stipulations um, about making qualified payments and whatnot, which, you know, currently we are, even if we're making the zero, you know, zero dollars, that's quote unquote qualified payment. So I believe anything we contribute in excess to what we need to contribute would be considered a qualified payment. We'll have to to check on that because um, there's some certain language in her um, account or, or whatnot that uh, has some of that. So we'll have to look at that. But I I think it should, like you said, whatever is not uh, paid off will be forgiven at that time. Yeah. I like the idea of pushing through and paying it off. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's, it's a lot of money. You'll work towards paying it off. It's 10 years of your earnings. It's five years of your combined earnings. Okay. Versus 13 years of having it on your, like weighing on your psyche while you're not filing jointly and you're not, you know, investing in whatever. Now let's talk about real estate. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast and we're all gung-ho about real estate. But is real estate the right investment for you at this time? I think that your 
uh, HSA, if that's an option, is the right investment. I think your Roth IRA is the right investment. I think 401k, if there's any sort of match, is the right investment. But I'm not sure that real estate with your demanding job and a baby and travel and your side hustle and, 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 I'm not sure that throwing another log on that fire is the right choice at this time. Because you could, I mean, I can talk you into a great real estate investment. Oh my goodness, it's going to be amazing. And your tenants are going to pay on time and blah, blah, blah. But reality says that that's not always what happens. How long has your property been vacant? Uh, About two months now. Yeah. Does that feel awesome? Not so much. Yeah, it kind of sucks. And it gets worse the longer it's vacant. And you start thinking, oh, I'll just put anybody in there. And let me tell you, the Bigger Pockets forums are filled with people who just put anybody in there to get a warm body in there. And all of the money you're putting in there now, when they start playing hammer darts in the kitchen, you're going to feel even worse about putting anybody in there. So I, if you love real estate, continue thinking about it, continue, you know, investing in your education about it and continue looking at the properties that are coming up. Really learn your market. Know when, you know, what properties are coming up, how much they're selling for, what are they renting for? Go to open houses for rental properties. Go to open houses for actual properties and just really, really learn your market. There might be such a smoking hot deal that pops up that you have to snap on it. But I wouldn't buy a house that you just because you get impatient. And I don't mean to throw that back at you, but no, I, I think that's totally fair. That was for sure what happened. Um, and my wife and I have had multiple discussions about that. That was definitely what happened. Did you use the HELOC to buy the rental property? I did. Yes. Yeah. So, so that that's a real killer here too, because even let's forget the 8% interest. If that if if you just had thirty grand in that HELOC, it's twenty four, but I'm using thirty grand for easy math, and you want to pay that back over two and a half years, or you know that's a thousand dollars a month, or five years, it's five hundred dollars a month before the interest payment, and so even if it was a good deal, that would kill your cash flow. It wasn't going to produce more than five hundred dollars at this purchase price unless you're, you know, um, uh, real estate investing god. Uh, so so that that's the, that's a big issue here, and that's where I think selling this and restarting with a stronger financial position will be helpful. But I disagree with Mindy that real estate's not for you. Again, I want to zoom out and say, the goal that you came in was, I want a flexible position five to eight years from now so that I can do the things that I want to do in life. right? And so if if we just stack $25,000 into the Roth IRA, that doesn't get us there unless you're willing to tap, tap the Roth IRA to, 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 to uh, you know, live your life. That's a great way to have five, six, five, you know, three to 500,000. You already have like 160. So let's call it even four to 500,000 after investment returns in five years inside your retirement accounts. But that wasn't your stated goal, right? So I think a better financial position would be something that looks something like this. I want $50,000. If, if, if if we keep the status quo and I am the only breadwinner, I'm going to have $50,000 in cash. I'm going to have one to two rental properties with let's call it a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars in in equity producing a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a month in cash flow. That's a realistic outcome for you if you save diligently uh and and put some aside for, in real estate over the next couple of years that that like and and make some smart decisions maybe maybe do a little bit of uh, creative finance. Uh, I think that's a reasonable possibility for you in five years if you 
and your your car payment will be paid off, your HELOC will be paid off, you'll have you'll slowly kind of get this consumer debt, your student loans maybe your student loans maybe paid off to your parents. That's a good outcome. And again, if we layer on top the the much bigger decision, which I think is the real crux of your financial the decision you and your wife need to make, um, if she works and is able to bring in something close to what I just described there, that that adds another three to four, maybe more hundred thousand dollars on top of that position, all of which could be invested in real estate or some could be spread across those retirement accounts. Again, bringing that flexible position, let's call it in that case, to fifty thousand in savings, three to four thousand dollars in passive cash flow. And two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars in in um, retirement accounts. So those would be the two two kind of outcomes I think you could back into over the next five years. Do those sound realistic to you, Barry? Back of the napkin math. I, I think so, and and I think like you said, it's going to come down to us discussing, having conversations about what do we want our life, our financial position to look like in you know currently this year, next year, five years, ten years. 20 years and and what gets us there. Um, because I think I've sort of had a little bit of tunnel vision in that like, hey, real estate is like the thing. It has all these great benefits. It's, you know, there's four or five different ways to make money in it. Um, and and I would like to think I've done a decent job in kind of keeping the pulse on the market that I'm in. Um, I've, I've tried to do everything kind of local. I'm not looking to do long distance or anything like that. Um, so, so I think uh, and I guess clarifying something, Scott, you said you said real estate can be a part. You think in five years, or you think at some point in the near or future? Again, this is where I I thank you for coming on the show because you're giving us such a hard financial. And I I can I can completely empathize with the struggle you're probably having across all this because your position is so complicated on the debt side in particular. That you know what what I'd love to do. There's there are multiple schools of thoughts. One good option is I'm just going to pay off these debts, right? They're all reasonably high interest rates, except for the ones that are at zero. And if you just pay them off and start with a fresh, a, a, a fresh slate, that's going to be tremendously freeing and really turbocharge your ability to accumulate wealth. It's not a bad option. Dave Ramsey is a great potential choice for you. Another reasonable choice is you just bought the wrong rental property here and you bought it with a HELOC, which compounded the pressure that this property has brought on your life instead of generating cash flow for you. If you were to use your whole life policy to pay off the HELOC, you have 28 grand. In a year from now, you could probably buy a property similar to this with a responsible financial position with a true cash down payment that does put money in your pocket. And that would be a reasonable choice. So I think it's it's an art and there's no right answer here. And that's why you're going to really struggle with it. I think you should either pick pick one or the other. And again, the major the major component here that's going to put you determine the, the level of flexibility you have in five years is how much cash flow your family is generating. So and that's the function of your job and whether or not your wife chooses to go back to work. Even though I know that was kind of settled coming in, I, I do think it's 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 such a big deal because of the amount of the student loan debt and the 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 size of the the hundred percent, the potential to double the family's cash flow. Yeah, no, I think, I I think you've definitely given us uh, a lot to think about and to talk about. Um, so it's it, it is a good way to think about it. In that, hey, if we are paying off X Y Z loans, um, some which some of which you know don't make sense to pay off, like the, the super low interest ones, and some of which are kind of in that gray zone, like you said. Um, what that does on the back end in terms of what we're bringing in uh, on a monthly basis and how we can then 
scale what we're accumulating uh, in different type of accounts, in different type of assets such as real estate, um, to to then have a, a strong financial position in a handful of years, you know, five ish plus years. Um, so yeah, it's this is not where I thought the conversation was going, but this has been, I mean, super helpful. Um, definitely gives us some some tough stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate it, and I'm sorry um, we we didn't have a, a more painless approach for you to solve some of the, the, these problems. That's the that's not a fun conversation to to think about, um, um, and 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 the the trade offs in your life that that discussion has. Yeah, these are just our opinions. Talk to your wife, listen to the episode with her, and see. You know, maybe. 60% of this makes sense to both of you together. I think the most important of all of this is that you're both on the same page. I do appreciate your time today, Patrick. I appreciate you sharing all of this information with us. I think that you have a lot of great opportunities ahead of you. This has been really helpful. I'm, I'm appreciative of your time. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Patrick, for, for listening and coming on the show and sharing your situation. Awesome. Thank you guys again. All right, Scott, that was Patrick. That was interesting. Yeah, I, I look, it's a tough situation. And I think, you know, if, if we're being blunt about it and and really attacking the problem head on, we, we can't take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt, not work, have a new car, not house hack, and expect to move to financial freedom. Patrick and his wife are in a great financial position. They're they're going to they're they're cash flowing their lives. They have some cleanup work to do on a couple of debts and those types of things. But they um they're they're in in a in a middle class position and they can cash flow their lives and live comfortably with it, with the choices they're making. They're just not going to progress toward financial freedom rapidly without I think confronting head on the boogie the student loan boogeyman. And, and we talked about a very parallel problem to this in episode 338, um, in a become debt-free 20 times faster than you thought, with a very similar problem, a very similar couple that was looking to uh, basically uh, delay the payment of student loans until the forgiveness program came out in about 15 to 20 years. And look, I just, I get that there's a, a spreadsheet where that works, but I really hate that way of attacking financial freedom. I, I really, I really prefer attacking the big problems in a financial position head on and defaulting to hard work, sweat, grind, and fundamentally increasing the cash flow after tax of a household. I think that produces a better financial outcome, a more sustainable approach, one that's within your control. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure people will strongly disagree with me. I'm sure there's a spreadsheet that can strongly disagree with me that, that would, that would prove me wrong. And I bet you, that the government does end up forgiving a lot of that tax burden for folks that do get student loan debt forgiven. But I still, still bias people, I think, heavily towards attack the problem, do the hard work, cash flow, pay it off, invest and build in and, and, and move toward financial freedom. I agree with you, Scott. There's a lot of tough decisions to make. What is most important, I'll say this again, is that Patrick and his wife talk about it and are on the same page. That's right. This is not. This is a, a team effort, and um, I think I think that their situation was one of those really hard ones to diagnose. I had I have my opinion and my bias towards that approach, but from a financial lens, uh, there are three or four different approaches that are all reasonable in his position, right? And and it's not just in paying the choice to pay down that student loan debt or 
you know, file taxes separately for the next decade and 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 uh, and look for the, the the payoff at the end of that. It's also the asset, the resource allocation decisions. Does he pay off debts that are in that bubble zone, or does he invest those assets? Does he put it into the retirement accounts or into after tax investments? Those are all hard choices with no right answer. And there's a like. You can read you get, the textbooks be written on why you should do any one of the of a variety of approaches. So we appreciate Patrick coming on and sharing uh, a situation that has no particular right answer. And if you want to debate, email Scott at biggerpockets.com, not Mindy at biggerpockets.com. And I would love that. I, I, I I'm I'm not sure on this one, and and I'm and I would love strong feedback uh, if there's a different approaches that folks had. I'm sure we'll get a couple on the whole life insurance policy advice as well. Yeah. And you can call Scott at, just kidding. <laughs> All right, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, don't be a stranger. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.